Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. The Bible says Jesus was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as we study his life, that's very clear. Sadly, some folks don't see it when they think of the suffering of Christ. All they think about is his physical suffering, and uh, that is beyond anything that we could ever describe. But there's more. Today, I want to speak to you about one of the saddest moments in our Lord's life. It's described in Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse number 37, and the title of the message is, The Savior's Sadness. Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse 2, it tells us that Christ endured the cross. But it also says this, He endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. It is so amazing that in all of His suffering, all of the agony, that never ever one time did Jesus ever complain about His personal suffering. But He was deeply sorrowed by the fact that others suffer. And here in Matthew chapter number 23... We find just such an example as what I'm talking about because it describes one of the most heartbreaking moments in his life. Luke tells us that just a, a few days before this, when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. Now verse 37 O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, Till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, having wept over Jerusalem, we see our Lord as he denounces her sin, demonstrates his concern, and then declares her doom, as you read on in that chapter. But I want you to notice those words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And remember what Luke added to that, that Jesus is weeping as He speaks. He's weeping over the city. This is full of emotion. And it's an expression of the great compassion that Jesus had for these people. The famous commentator Matthew Henry wrote many years ago, Jerusalem, the vision of peace, so the word signifies, must now be the seat of war and confusion. Jerusalem, that had been the joy of the whole earth, must now be a hissing and an astonishment and a byword 
Jerusalem that had been a city compact together shall now be scattered and ruined by its own intestine broils. Jerusalem, the place that God has chosen to put His name there, shall now be abandoned to the spoil and the robbers. Now as we look back over the centuries... And we think about the plight of Jerusalem and those people to whom our Lord was speaking, we see very clearly exactly what He had in His mind. He looked beyond what happened in 70 A.D. when Titus plundered the city and and killed something like a million people and carried off about that, that many into captivity and destroyed everything in sight. Jesus foresaw that, but He looked beyond that. He looked to that time during the tribulation whenever the Jewish people would suffer so horribly as a result of of the world's hatred of the Jewish people. From this, we today can learn some very important lessons in our own life. The first thing that comes to mind is whenever I think of our Lord looking there out over the city and with tears in His eyes crying out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The first thing that comes to my mind is that people don't always listen to sound reasoning. You'll remember way back 700 years before this, The prophet Isaiah, speaking on behalf of God, in chapter 1, verse 18, says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. In other words, God is not unreasonable, and God was willing to reason with His people that that they turned to Him and received the forgiveness of sins. But as you and I know very well, People aren't always reasonable. Maybe it would be better if I said people are seldom reasonable. Because it's a very rare thing to see someone that is willing to put aside all of their preconceived ideas and to listen with an open mind to sound reasoning. It's as though they're tempted to believe whatever they want to believe or to believe what everybody else is believing with no grounds whatsoever for their beliefs, no justification for their decisions. Now, I certainly agree, we should not believe everything that we hear. But that doesn't mean that we ought not to listen to something because we don't believe it, because we just might be wrong. You see, there are a lot of people today who are miserable because of their misunderstanding. They're miserable. They think of God as some cruel tyrant. They think of God as a killjoy, a party pooper. They think of God as someone that doesn't really want us to to be happy. And that's a total misunderstanding of the character of God. Many times in God's dealings with us, things happen in our life that make us bitter, and we are miserable. And we're miserable because we misunderstand. Rather than seeking God's will in this matter, rather than 
believing His promises in this regards rather than to simply trust Him to make all things work together for good, we get angry with God. We misunderstand God. Whenever you stop and think about it, a lot of folks have absolutely no basis for for some of the things they believe. It's so sad. Bev and I was watching something the other day, and I'll not name the particular brand of religion, but it was showing people as they were going through the motions of demonstrating their their loyalty to their religion. And, and, and I commented how sad it is to think that people are so deceived. You see, in regards to some things, being wrong is not really a big deal. You know, you, you can be wrong about your investments and lose your money. You know, you can be wrong about the particular team that you choose to win the Super Bowl and you can bet all of your money and, you know, you, you might lose. You, you shouldn't do that anyway, but, but it could happen. But all you've lost is money. But if you're, listen, if you're wrong about things related to your eternal destiny, it's tragic beyond belief. You better have a good basis for your belief. And one of the most discouraging things in life is whenever you try your best to lead folks in the right direction and they reject your words, they reject your warnings, they ignore your device. And listen, every parent here knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? Because there have been times you've, you know, you've had a talk with your son or with your daughter. And you tried to warn them, you've already been down that road. You know where it leads. You know they're going to get hurt. And you try to warn them, and they turn a deaf ear to everything that you have to say. Parents know about that. Pastors know about that. They know exactly what I mean, because it literally tears you apart inside when you see people ignoring sound advice and marching straight ahead into tragedy and into heartache. And it almost seems like some people are determined to do exactly the opposite of what you tell them to do. They're not content with just ignoring your advice. They go to great lengths to show you, I don't have to listen to you. You know, you tell them, look, this is going to end up getting you hurt. This is not going to be a good thing. And, and, and what do they do? They go down that same road that you went down, ignoring your advice. Their decisions, naturally, are based on a number of things. It might be a personal preference, or it might be peer pressure, or it, it, you know, it might be for the sake of, uh, of worldly gain, or whatever it is. There's something that is motivating them to not listen to sound reasoning, and, and to go down the wrong path. And these Jews in that day were exactly like that. Remember, Jesus has made several trips already uh, there in the city. He has taught, and they said, never a man spake like this man. He has worked miracles in their presence. He's lived a perfect life, and everything he taught was based on the Word of God and all of the evidence proved that He was the Messiah. It's all right there for them to see. And yet, as John says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. They rejected Him in spite of 
all of the evidence. So people don't always listen to sound reason, and that's still happening today. Not only that, people, people don't always follow good examples. I just mentioned the fact, you know, Jesus going to Jerusalem. Wouldn't that be something, you know, to get the headline, Jesus coming to your city soon? I mean, to think about seeing him as he really is. And, and these people had that, had that, uh, that privilege. You know, in Christianity, the number one problem that we have to deal with is the hypocrisy of the saints. The number one excuse that people use for not going to church is, well, there are too many hypocrites in the church. And, and the fact of the matter is, a lot of times we provoke other people Whenever we rebel against God and because of our good, our bad example, it provokes others. It's offensive to them to the point they don't want anything to do with what we've got. You see, most people despise hypocrisy. They resent being told what to do when it's coming from somebody of bad character. But that was not the case with Jesus. The Bible says he was in all points. Now think about this. In all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The Bible says he was holy. He was harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. He was without blemish. He was without spot. And even Pilate said, I find no fault in him. The Bible says, in spite of all of that, he was despised and rejected of men. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Listen, if ever there was a person that walked upon this earth worthy to be followed, it was Jesus. He was the perfect example for all of humanity and the perfect role model. And yet, in spite of all of that, they ignored him, they rejected him, and they still do today. Whenever he came to the Jews and he came with the promise, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And their response was, oh, well, we're the children of Abraham. We've never been in bondage to any man. You see, they have no idea as to their wretched spiritual condition. They thought they were in control of their lives, but in reality... They were being taken captive of the devil at his will. They failed to see that they were living in spiritual bondage. They were proud. They were self-righteous. They were totally dependent upon their tradition rather than the truth of God's Word. And regardless of the example of Jesus Christ, with all of the evidence laying right there before them, they rejected Him. May I ask you this morning, have you examined the evidence for the claims of Christ? There are a lot of folks that, you know, that make no profession of being a Christian. In fact, they'll come right out and tell you they have no intention of ever becoming a Christian. Their beliefs are contrary to everything that you and I believe and stand for. But they've absolutely never examined the evidence May I ask, what more would God have to do? Well, you say, if I could just see a miracle, if some angels would just come fluttering down on feathery white wings, you know, that, that, that'd do it. Really? 
It's never done it before. Listen, they nailed him to a cross and he died and was buried in a tomb, was there for three days and three nights, and he came out to prove that he was the Son of God. What more evidence do you need than that? Every claim that he ever made has been proven to be true. Why would you reject him? On what grounds? What is the basis for your rejection? Jesus said, you call me Lord and do not. And he said, why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? Here's the perfect example before us. We don't pay any attention to it. Here's sound reasoning that we ought to be depending upon, and we refuse to resort to it. We, we follow Grandpa's religion or, or, or some newfound religion or whatever it is that satisfies us. And here we see the Jews doing exactly what people are doing today. But then thirdly, we see in this story that people that people oftentimes reject or fail to heed heartfelt warnings. And and that's what this is. Look at the story beginning in verse 1 of chapter 24. The warning has been sounded because Jesus knows the future. Listen to what he says. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all of these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming unto the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquake in divers places. And these are the beginning of sorrows. In other words, even after all of this, it gets worse than that, and it's all downhill. And he begins to describe what happens during the tribulation at this point. But Jesus could foresee all of this, and as He is weeping over Jerusalem, as He is pleading for them to repent and turn to Him, Jesus sees all of this. And yet, in spite of His compassion, His great sincerity, He could not convince them of their, of their great need. And they rejected Him. Have you ever tried to warn someone, you know, that they're going to get hurt and they just just will not listen? Regardless of what you do, how hard you try, they won't listen. That's exactly what a lot of folks are doing at this very moment. God has warned them time and time again. 
It might have been a Sunday school lesson where they sit in class and read the Bible and the teacher began to open the Word of God and the Holy Spirit began to prick their heart and to remind them of their sinful ways and spiritual needs and they turned a deaf ear and they, and they walked out. It might have been in a, in a church service like this. The preacher got up and poured out his heart one morning after another. And they thought to themselves, if I can just get out that door, if I can just get away from this place, I'll be all right. But the Holy Spirit followed you home and continued to deal with your heart and to convict you and to remind you of your spiritual need. But you've not yet turned around. And how sad it is when you see that happening And over the years, there have been time and time and time again, in fact, times that I've literally personally gone to members of the church in private and told them, you're headed down the wrong road and it's going to be a train wreck. You're going to get hurt. Others are going to get hurt. You need to do something about this right now. And I've had them to laugh at me. I've had them to literally mock me as a result of that. And you know it's coming. And it does. And let me tell you, there's no pride in looking back saying, well, I was right. I warned you. It's so heartbreaking because it doesn't have to be that way. And especially when you think about those that are unsaved and time and time again, they've been warned to repent of their sins and turn to Christ. And they go right on rejecting Christ is their Savior, headed for the devil's hell, never seen their real, true spiritual need. And in spite of all of the heartfelt warnings and to stay in the ministry, listen, you can't take their rejection personal. If you're going to be a soul winner for Christ, if you're going to be a Sunday school teacher, if you're going to be involved in witnessing to other people, most people are going to reject you. And you can't take that personal. Because it's not you, it's Him. It's Him they're rejecting. And if they rejected Him, if He was despised and rejected, why do you think they would accept you and your message and your warning? But for all of those that reject, thank God once in a while, there's someone that will listen to sound reason. Someone that will heed the warning. Someone that will come to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him. How is it with you this morning? Is it maybe that God's been warning you, as it were? It might have been through something that Grandma said or Grandpa said or Mom or Dad or someone else. But God used them as an instrument trying to warn you. You better listen. I often think about the story of the Titanic and the warning that was ignored. I think about Pearl Harbor. We think about how tragic something like that is. And the fact that warnings had been ignored. It's not like nobody knew. Somebody knew. Somebody warned them. Just this last week, this Richard Branson, his 
spaceship, the Virgin Galactic, his rocket engine system exploded. I just happened to notice this, and I got online and just did a little search. And it said the authorities had repeatedly warned about safety issues. Virgin Galactic had been accused of ignoring a series of warnings that its $500 million rocket was unsafe for flight. A number of the senior aerospace engineers repeatedly voiced their fears over the design, dating back several years. Just recently, three of the senior executives, the vice president of one part and another and another, had all quit in recent months. And then it blew up in the sky over the Mojave Desert. Now, it wouldn't be so bad, although that's pretty stupid to blow up $500 million worth of stuff when you've been warned again and again and again and again. But what made it so bad was the fact that the pilot died and another is, in, is seriously injured. And the widow said, I've lost the love of my life. I am living in hell right now. And it goes on and on. There were five pages of this, and I'm not going to take time to read all of that, but it's very, very clear that people go on making that same mistake of ignoring warnings. Listen, God's not playing games, and when God says something, He means it. He doesn't make any idle threats. When He says you reap what you sow, you mark it down, that's going to happen. Warnings totally ignored. Sometimes we preachers, I guess, in our pride get to thinking, you know... If I can just really do a good job at preaching, if I can use all of the right illustrations, if I can really be passionate in my preaching, you know, if I can verbalize everything just right, and if I have the oratorical ability to speak with the tongues of angels and what have you, boy, then I can persuade people to, to respond to what I'm saying. Let me tell you something. Nobody ever spoke like Jesus and the majority of people would not listen to him. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to listen to you. They're going to ignore all of the warnings and end up in a devil's hell. But one thing about it, they cannot say they have not been warned. Then lastly, whenever we think about this instance of our Savior's sorrow, we see that we don't always get another chance. Jesus said, notice, How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? Notice, and, and ye would not. Notice he said, How often would I? That indicates there's been many opportunities, not just one. I mean, if you heard the gospel just one time in all of your life, that ought to be enough for you to repent of your sins and turn to Christ. That ought to be enough. But here in America, 
There are those that have heard it over and over again hundreds of times. And the Lord is saying to them, how often? In other words, I've warned you, I've told you again and again and again. And notice he says, you've refused. Ye would not. doesn't say ye could not. It says ye would not. You see, we have a will in this regards. He said, ye would not. They could have, but they... But they didn't. And then verse 38, he makes this statement, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. In other words, the time of opportunity is over. It's a done deal. I mean, that day the door closed on these people for good. Your house is left unto you desolate. Now, whenever he uses the word house, that includes more than just one, right? That's, that includes everybody associated there with the family. You, you see, it'd be one thing if your sin did not affect anybody else, but it always does. The decisions that you make in regards to whether you're going to be saved or not, or if you're a Christian, the decisions that you make in regards to whether you're going to serve God or not, those decisions affect other people. And the Lord says to the nation of Israel, those people there in Jerusalem at that time that had had this glorious opportunity, He says that ye would not, and because of that, your house is left unto you desolate. The opportunity is over. They loved their sins. They trusted in their own self-righteousness, and now He leaves them to their doom. Now you think about how different it could have been had they repented of their sins. It it would have been different for them immediately, because we're new creatures in Christ. It would have been different for them eternally. And every Christian here can tell you it makes a difference. It makes a difference. I, I, I love that song, It's Different Now. I once was lost in sin I had no peace within. To save my weary soul, I knew not how. But Jesus came to me, and by His grace I'm free. It's different. Oh, so different now. And every Christian here could say exactly the same thing. And let me tell you something. It can be different for you. You don't have to leave the same way that you came. Nobody can force you to respond to the Word of God But I'll tell you, you'll never regret it if you do. They had this wonderful opportunity, and they rejected it. God graciously had said, come now, let us reason together. Think this thing through, in other words. Be reasonable about it. Do what's best for you, what's best for your family. Do that which would be most pleasing to God. And you'll never regret making the decision of doing the right thing. And the right thing for some of you would be to trust Christ as your Savior. Because you never have. You might have joined the church. You might have been baptized. You might have worked in the church. But you've never actually trusted Christ as your Savior. And you need to do that while the door of opportunity is open, 
And then there are those of you here this morning, no doubt, that are saved and on your way to heaven, but nobody knows it besides you because it doesn't show. Even though you've been forgiven of your sins, you stubbornly refuse to follow the pattern of Christ and to live for Him. And I'm telling you, it's a train wreck, and you're going to get hurt, and you're going to end up hurting other people, and it's not fair for you to stay on that path and to head down that road. It's not only not fair, it's not reasonable. It doesn't make good sense. I've often said, you know, if we were as smart as God, we would want exactly for ourselves what God wants for us. But we're not that smart most of the time, are we? We think we've got a better idea that we're going to take a different route, we're going to, we're going to do something different, and we end up paying the price for it. The, the old song says, nobody cares for me like Jesus. And, and I can't read these verses without thinking of that song. Nobody ever cared for me like Jesus. And there he is with tears in his eyes, weeping over Jerusalem. And I want you to understand he cares just that much about you, folks. And if you want to break the heart of God... All you have to do is just say no to, to Him, reject Him, ignore Him, and, and leave here today just like when you came outside of His will. And that grieves the heart of God. Grieve is a love word. You, you grieve people that love you, and God loves you more than anybody possibly could, more than you'll ever understand. And when we reject Him, it hurts the heart of God more than we could possibly comprehend. Aren't you glad that He loved you enough that He gave His only begotten Son who died on the cross for your sins, paid your sin debt, made heaven possible for you, promised to be with you every step of the way and to help you through every difficulty until you finally one day get to heaven to be reunited with your loved ones and to live eternally in the presence of your dear Savior. And I ask you, what more could you ask God to do? Why would you possibly reject Him and ignore His will? We never know when that last opportunity is going to be over. There will never be another chance. But you've got that chance right here, right now, this morning. Will you take it? Let's stand together. Father, how sad it is to think about the sadness of the only perfect man that ever walked upon the earth. When we think about the sadness of our Savior and to, and to understand that it grieves His heart when we refuse to, to trust Him. And I pray today for those that are here that are lost, that they might that they might be saved, that, that heaven would rejoice as a result of that. And Heavenly Father, for others here today, that although they've been saved, they're absolutely miserable in their lives. And regardless of the reason for their misery, we know the answer is always the same. The remedy for their problem is simply for them to repent and to trust You and to live for You.
So may each one of us today leave here determined that we're going to live a life of obedience, that we might hear you say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all of these things. Amen.